1: is a calling I am honored and eager to answer. Hey everybody. welcome to episode four of Clean Up on Isle 45. I am Andrew Torres, also of the Opening Arguments podcast.
0: I'm AG also of The Daily Beans and Mueller she wrote podcasts. And now this, fantastic podcast i'm (laughs) super excited to be a part of this and and we're trying to squeeze everything down into a weekly show there's a lot of cleanup going on on aisle 45 Uh, yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) one might say that uh we have a jam-packed episode today and i you know we had to cut five or six stories we really wanted to bring you um maybe we'll get to talk about those uh you know during our uh, regular stereo q and a's you you guys know to tune in on those. those are uh, Tuesdays at eight p m Eastern. Mm. so with that plug out of the way, why don't you uh hit hit our first story AJ
0: Yeah, well, I'm gonna do a couple of quick news headlines here that that uh, you can expand on uh, before we get into our first uh, super block story. Uh, But first of all, I just wanted to let everyone know Biden's Justice Department has dropped the Trump administration's challenge to the California state net neutrality law. So that's happening. Um, Also, Andrew, you'll find this very uh, interesting. I know you've already seen this news, but you remember last October when the New York appeals court found that Manhattan D.A. Cy Vance's efforts to charge Manafort for state crimes actually violated the state's double jeopardy law. Well, Vance appealed that decision, and now New York's highest court has said quietly last week that it, we were just finding this out today, uh, that it will not review the lower court ruling on the case. So that that stands, this is the final blow to this. Cy Vance has also started looking into charging Bannon, and uh, in that case, the double jeopardy rule likely will not apply because Bannon was not convicted or tried and and you know I know what you're saying I know what you're going to ask everyone you're going to ask <laughs> what about that law Cuomo signed that bill Cuomo signed into law allowing the state to prosecute crimes pardoned by Trump well if you remember in 2019 the state legislature in New York passed a measure that lawmakers argued was necessary to check Trump's pardon power and to ensure that his associates were not permitted to escape justice the law signed by Cuomo in October of 2019, allows state prosecutors to pursue charges against individuals who have been granted presidential pardons for similar crimes. But the law passed too late to apply to Manafort's case but Bannon is still in the crosshairs
1: yeah I think that's right I don't I don't have anything to add to your excellent summaries there I mean this is it's a it's a one weird trick it is called the dual sovereigns doctrine we anticipated that this could be an issue and the only question is you know you 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 can't legislatively enact an ex post facto law, right? Like you you can't go back in time. Uh, the, the rules then in effect at the time, uh, of the prior conviction apply. Um, look, this does not, I, I mean, I, I interpret it the other way, right? Like it, it, this does not mean that, um, folks are not active at the New York state level, uh, looking for ways to come after Trump and his cronies. Uh, this is very much an indication of of the exact opposite, and and all of that is going to take a little bit of a pause, I think, while um, uh, while we we move through impeachment. I I, I wouldn't be. I've said this uh, on this show. I, I would not be surprised. Uh, to see activity in Georgia, right? Out of either the Fulton County Mm. DA's office or the uh, state attorney general.
0: Well, funny you should mention that. That's just out just a few minutes ago, breaking that the Georgia Secretary of State's office has launched an official fact-finding investigation into Trump's January phone call to that office to find 11,779 votes. Uh, Now, this is preliminary. It's not criminal. Although criminal referrals can be made to the state attorney general, then it'll be up to the AG whether or not to bring charges.
1: Yep. And uh, I I talked about this in depth on opening arguments, but the key takeaway is that it is a violation of Georgia state election law to knowingly ask an election official to put a fraudulent number, right, to enter a fraudulent vote total on the records. And it doesn't matter, right, that the, the law does not say, you know, you have to, uh, change the results or argue to change the results. It just says if you uh, conspire or ask or request or cajole or, you know, and it's got 50 different synonyms uh, for any state official to enter any knowingly incorrect number of, uh, in connection with vote totals, uh, that's a uh, that's a felony. And the call, right? The Raffensburger call. Uh, Trump says, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." Like I won by four hundred thousand, but like I don't care, whatever. Just like find me at least tw- you know twelve thousand votes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is prima facie. I mean, that is an open and shut case yeah. uh, under Georgia state law. And um, you know, I I will be very disappointed if that case is not referred out.
0: Yeah now andrew here's the here's the big a block story here from the washington post Uh, mail service is slower and more erratic than it's been like ever and that's because uh well in great part to do with dejoy but also a lot of compounding factors uh including dejoy's abrupt reorganization and pandemic era anomalies Uh, and a lot of people are demanding reform and a lot of people are asking for him to no longer be the postmaster general Uh, Now, congressional Democrats are pressing Biden to install new board members to create a majority block that could oust DeJoy, Um, uh, you know, who is a Trump loyalist. He he had his aggressive cost cutting over the summer. He was just just slowing down the post office. Um, And now, I mean, I think that this is really significant that we talk about. How you get a new postmaster general, because this isn't something that Biden can just do unilaterally. Right. You right. can't just fire DeJoy and replace him and appoint someone. Yeah. So
1: two things here. The first is DeJoy obviously is the poster boy for Donald Trump's multi front war on voting by mail. Right. And deliberately sabotaging voting uh, 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 mail sorting machines, uh, you know, picking up. We you know, we all saw the photographs of um, picking up uh, postal delivery boxes, mailboxes. It's it's easy to tag DeJoy with that. And we should we should not forget just how bad DeJoy is at his job, leaving aside the political stuff. Right. So only 38 percent of non-local first class mail arrived on time in late December compared with 92 percent from a year ago. I mean, those numbers are i like I get it pandemic and everything, but like those those numbers are unbelievably bad. I can tell you anecdotally, my Towson, Maryland office is down the street. It is three blocks from the courthouse. I received correspondence from the courthouse 38 days after it was dated. Um, That's unbelievable, right? And I get that that's anecdotal, but so... The post office sucks and is awful. And even if DeJoy were not using it in a partisan way to try and undermine voting by mail, which he was, uh, he's terrible at his job and should be ousted. The problem is that the Postal Regulatory Commission is sort of set up in this, uh, some executive agencies, right, most of them, uh, allow the president directly to appoint the head of that agency, right? So Department of Justice, for example, president gets to nominate the attorney general, Merrick Garland. Um, And uh, that is subject only to uh, advice and consent uh, by the Senate. Other federal executive agencies are uh, attempted to be insulated from the political process. And the post office is, is one of them. So the way in which the Postal Regulatory Commission works is you have nine members on the board and they serve these staggered seven year terms. And again, you see that the purpose of that is to make it such that vacancies come up across presidential terms. Right. This is another effort to, to insulate uh, the the Postal Service from kind of direct frontline political activity the rules also the regulations also require that on the board at any given time only five members may be of the same party right so the idea is okay you can make it five to four democratic or five to four republican but you can't you know do what trump did with the supreme court for example which is packet full of republican loyalists (laughs) um one question when we, when we've talked about these kinds of, uh, of, of, boards in the past, um, is there anything to stop a president from appointing somebody who nominally says, yes, I am a registered Republican. And you look at their voting history and like, you know, they voted uh green party and socialist in the last like 20 elections. Um, not as far as I know. Right. Like you could bring uh, you could bring a lawsuit. Uh, a court would probably, uh, you know, sort of stand back and 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 say that that's a political question. Um, not even Trump tried to do that. Right. Tried to appoint people who identified as Democrats, but were in fact Trump loyalists. Like, I don't know. I mean, David Duke is still a registered Democrat. Right. Like he could have done that. I don't know. Um, No. The way Trump approached the Postal Service was the same <laughs> way he approached a bunch of executive agencies that he didn't care about, and that was benign neglect. <laughs> so here's the situation we have now. Hmm. There are three vacancies. There were two vacancies, uh, and then um, the uh, one of the Trump appointees actually uh, resigned uh, as a result of the vote-by-mail shenanigans. So three vacancies um, plus... There is one Democrat who is on a holdover term. That is a guy named Ron Bloom. I know nothing about him other than he's just got a year left. And so he you could convince him to resign and go elsewhere in the civil service. Um, and then there is the full term of Donald Lee Moak. And uh, you add those Four to one. That could give you a five vote Democratic majority, which would then give us a new postmaster general.
0: So Biden doesn't even have to fire anybody on the governing board. Uh, He just needs to fill those three vacancies because Ron Bloom has a one year holdover term and Lee Moak is in the middle of his. And so there's the five that you need to... to there you go. And, and do you do those five, can they oust DeJoy without cause? Yep. But he, there is cause. I mean...
1: <laughs> <laughs> there absolutely is cause. Uh, I
0: mean, 38% of the male getting there on time versus 92%. That would just be enough to be like, yeah, everyone in favor. Yeah, fuck you, get out. <laughs> yeah, uh, right. yeah, that's...
1: What is it you say you do here?
0: <laughs> 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 yep. Do you like Michael Bolton? Um, yeah, no, that, I think, uh, I think that that should be done and that could be done fairly easily. Yeah.
1: All three of those nominations would have to be approved by the Senate. They are what we call PAS positions. So, uh, that is, that requires the, uh, advice and consent of the Senate. Um, uh, don't ask me how it got to be abbreviated PAS, but, um. Mm.
0: All there. right. But there you go. And we do hold we do hold the Senate. So well, we have a tiebreaker. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, I think I think that'll be the way to go. And I, I hope that uh that can that can be done shortly. I know that there was another confirmation today. Who got confirmed today? Oh, it was McDonough uh was confirmed yes. today in the Senate. We did not get the Merrick Garland confirmation hearing that Dick Durbin wanted on February eighth, Monday. Um, so I uh, and I don't see it anywhere on the schedule coming up, but uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that for you. Yep, I've got nothing to add on that. So we'll be right back. We're going to discuss a fraud case connected to the coronavirus pandemic. and <laughs> It is ridiculous how many laws this guy broke. So uh, stick around. We'll be right back. Hey everybody, it's AG and today's episode is brought to you by Magic Spoon. It's the most delicious cereal you uh, you will ever eat. It's so incredible. I was shocked when I put it in my mouth because it's healthy and it's good for you. I've always been a cereal fanatic. As a kid, it was my favorite food. I'd eat a whole box of it sitting there watching Saturday morning cartoons and then drink the milk after. But I had to give it up as an adult because of all the sugar and carbs and chemicals. But Magic Spoon has brought me back to my love of cereal because it's made it's made without all of the sugar, carbs, or guilt. So if you're a cereal lover like me, you've got to try it. it. Truly, it's so good you won't believe it's healthy. Forbes magazine says with cereal that tastes this good and offers so much nutritional value as opposed to none, Magic Spoon may be the future of breakfast. And I agree. They These cereals, Magic Spoon has zero sugar, 12 grams of protein, and only three net grams of carbs in each serving. It is keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, high-protein, and GMO-free. And the Best part is delicious, and they have four ama- amazing flavors: cocoa, fruity, frosted, and blueberry. So, a little vintage there for you. It tastes incredible. It seems too good to be true, but it is real and it's delicious. My favorite flavor right now is cocoa because I get to drink that chocolatey milk after. So, go to MagicSpoon.com/cleanup to grab a variety pack. You can try all four flavors. Be sure to use our promo code cleanup at checkout to get free shipping. Magic Spoon is so confident in their product; it has a 100% happiness guarantee. So, if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money in full, no questions asked. That dot magicspoon.com slash cleanup and use the code cleanup for free shipping. And we thank Magic Spoon for sponsoring the podcast. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. Now, when I first read this story... And I kept reading and I kept reading and I kept reading and there were just more <laughs> and more and more f- f- cases of fraud piled onto this guy. This is from ProPublica. He's an amateur mask broker. He was awarded a $38 million federal contract to provide N95 masks. You remember, remember this guy, Andrew? Yeah. Uh, he was like he's never made a mask. He doesn't know anybody with masks, but he got a 38 million dollar contract to provide n 95 mask. He's pleaded guilty. Sorry, I like pled guilty. He's pled guilty. Team pled to defrauding three different federal agencies as part of a scheme to profit off of the pandemic. His name is Robert Stewart, Jr., He's 35 years old, and he pled guilty to three counts of making false statements, wire fraud, and theft of government funds Wednesday in a U.S. district court in the Eastern District of Virginia, including charges that he lied to the Department of Veterans Affairs in April in order to win a $34.5 million no-bid contract to supply personal protective equipment to nurses and doctors in a sprawling health system serving 9 million veterans. He similarly acknowledged lying to the Federal Emergency Management Agency, FEMA, when he said he had masks, quote, stored securely in our climate controlled warehouse located in Virginia and Pennsylvania. And that's according to his plea agreement. Stewart did collect a huge payday from another government program responding (laughs) to the pandemic, the Paycheck Protection Program. So pile this on. Stewart pleaded guilty, pled guilty to wire fraud, and a scheme to defraud the Small Business Administration, which guaranteed $350 billion in loans to help struggling businesses stay afloat, many of which could be forgiven. Now, I'm going to stop. <laughs> There's more. But I'm going to stop here to let Andrew interject, because if I go through every single one of these things, we'll be here until Christmas.
1: Yeah, there is so much to unpack here.
0: Uh, uh, everything think... except N95 masks, am I right? Yeah,
1: right. He... So at the end of the day, there were zero masks delivered. Zero. None. <laughs> Right? That's that, that it's really, really hard to get a government contract and then be like, well, we, you know, we, we engaged in partial compliance, right? In the sense that zero is a number. Um, I, I, I want to, I want to kind of mention one bit of my, uh, hang up here. And that is, um, Donald Trump managed to politicize the notion that, Um, everybody uh, associated with the Mueller investigation wound up pleading guilty to 18 U.S.C. One thousand and one false statements. Right. And Trump and his defenders consistently said like, oh, yeah, this is a perjury trap. And, you know, this is nonsense. That's not the case. This is just a perfect example. Right. Utterly unrelated. This is a garden variety fraud case. And you know what? Part of fraud is making false statements, right? And people get convicted of, get charged with, plead guilty to violations of 18 U.S.C. 1001 all the time. Um, Stewart did so here, right? And so I just wanted to, to flag that because it's always kind of gotten under my skin that that somehow Trump managed to make like oh yeah well that kind of criming doesn't count no that kind of criming still counts so um that's point 1 yeah point 2 is yeah uh a uh, uh, part of those false statements include multiple fraudulent SBA and PPP loan applications um as stewart was under investigation some of those got paid back the rest are now part of a civil forfeiture order, uh, but yeah, like when you're a grifter and you're gonna grift, like why not dip into the pot of money while you're at it? And uh, and so indeed, in addition to uh, saying I'm making N95 masks, when apparently you're not making anything, yeah, I, it, that is just I. I actually had a case like this when, when I was in private practice, I was helping, um, it was as I was a, a baby partner. And so I was sort of doing everything that they wanted, you know, needed help in the office on. And I, and I, I did a couple criminal cases and, um, and it was a criminal fraud case, uh, that by the end, so, so it was without kind of revealing the, 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 the specifics, um, was somebody who was defrauding the government. Uh, and at the beginning, they were installing fake widgets, right? And saying, oh, this is a, you know, an, an ozone deep filter that you've got to have in your buildings. And, you know, and they were, and it was garbage, right? And they would send people in to install the widget, right? That, that did nothing. And, you know, it had a huge markup and they would charge for the labor, or whatever. By the end of the seven-year contract, they stopped bothering installing the widget, right? Like they were like, well, look, I've, you know, the widget doesn't do it. Why should we put together three dollars worth of, you know, uh nonsense garbage uh, and actually send our workers over? We're just going to bill you for having installed the widgets without. It. But that was after seven years of fraud. Like it's pretty ballsy to uh to like your opening offer out of the gate is uh how about we don't ship ship the masks? Oh, uh, but uh, but indeed that's what we have. <laughs> yeah. And
0: and to to, to kind of hone in and drill down on what they were what he was doing with the PPP program, Stewart um, he provided false tax forms showing his business employed 37 people yep. for a total quarterly payroll of 960,000 <laughs> when his business actually employed 9 people and Celtic Bank approved federal government experts PPP loan of 805,000 most of which Stewart has repaid like you said. Uh, now, Stewart also pled guilty to collecting about $261,000 on false pretenses from another small business loan program called the Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program, which provides low-interest financing to struggling small businesses during disasters. Uh, the prosecutor told the judge that Stewart gave about 60000 of that cash to himself as wages and also spent it lavishly, including renting a private jet to hunt <laughs> down masks. Yeah,
1: and and— Again, you see kind of the house of cards here, right? Like, as part of the EIDL program, the qualifying business was required to submit an application, provide information about its operations, such as number of employees, gross revenues, costs of goods. And and and, and, and I just want to emphasize... The government contract was for six and a half million N95 masks. So obviously, uh, if you're supposed to have a factory and an import-export business and people processing and facilitating deliveries and whatever, um, you 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 have to fake all of that because uh, six and a half millions a lot. <laughs>
0: Yeah, nine, <laughs> nine people getting their hands on six and a mm-hmm. half million. Zero was not. 95 masks. Yep. Yeah. Zero. Well, uh, I'm surprised nine people came up with zero. But hey, that's <laughs> apparently what happened. Now, get this. Stewart declined to comment in the courtroom on Wednesday, as would I. That's smart. <laughs> He's an Air Force veteran. This is a, a designation which gave him an edge when seeking these federal contracts, especially from the VA. But prosecutors said that in a separate scheme... He claimed to be a decorated veteran of the Marine Corps, which was untrue. From September 2013 to October 2020, Stewart collected nearly $74,000 in medical and educational benefits from the VA by falsely claiming he had been honorably discharged at the rank of Marine Corporal. Stewart also pleaded guilty to that charge, which carries a maximum penalty of 10 years in prison and a fine of a quarter of a million dollars. Now, it is incredibly hard to fake veteran status. You have to make documents, fake DD-214s. I don't even know how they weren't able to verify it in the computer system, having worked at the VA. Um, But as as Stewart entered his plea, Judge Rossi Allen Alston Jr. at one point turned to him and said, I was inclined after reading what you did to lock you up. (laughs) But apparently prosecutors did not object to Stewart's request that he remain free under court supervision while his lawyer negotiates terms uh, for him to aid in a separate congressional investigation into the failed federal coronavirus response. So that's that's really interesting. Buried lead. Buried yeah. lead here because he's this is a plea agreement. And with all of the things that he's done, uh, he he is cooperating now with congressional investigations that could result in criminal referrals to the Department of Justice. And I'm interested in those. That's what I want to hear about. I, I I am, too. And so let me talk
1: about a, a little bit about that interplay. Remember that um for. Federal criminal offenses, even though the sentencing guidelines are advisory, um, that it's nevertheless the starting point. Right. And those are a matrix. And what you do is you look up this guy's criminal history. I believe this is no prior criminal history. So he's then in column one and then you scroll down to the row that is the equivalent of the base offense level of the offenses added together, right? And there's a a metric by which you do that. And then that number goes up or down sort of based on severity, right? So when one of the criminal offenses is theft of government property, which is the case here. The amount of the theft is part of what increases it. Um, This is under a million dollars, so he's going to get a couple of levels added on, but, you know, not get the book thrown at him. Um, And then as a criminal defendant, you want to look for ways to get that base number reduced, right? One of them is acceptance of guilt, right? So when you sign on to a plea deal instead of Taking it to trial, you say it is it is called an allocution. You say, I agree that I committed these crimes and you publicly uh, sign a statement. You read it in court. You allocute as to each and every element of the offense. And when you have accepted the guilt, then you get a level subtracted off. You can also get levels subtracted for rendering substantial assistance and cooperation. We saw this during the Mueller investigation. And look, prosecutors know that, right? So they tend to hold that out only when they have very, very important things that they expect to
0: get in return. Well, that was going to be my question here, because the the egregiousness of this promising six million masks to. People who provide health care to veterans, yeah. uh, FEMA, uh, and then be to be able to be let out of your on your own recognizance. Um, you know, again, we can start talking about those two systems of justice and, <laughs> and Jennifer Cudd, who's on trotting off to Mexico this weekend for her employee retreat. While, you know, uh, the rest of us and as particularly BIPOC and, and marginalized communities sit in jail uh, and, and but then on the other hand, we got Buffalo Horns guy being transferred to a prison that has organic food. It's 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 very frustrating with these two systems of justice. That is one of the reasons I'm very interested in what this congressional investigation is about, because if it it, it seems to me to have to be pretty serious to be able to forgive these kinds of egregious crimes uh, and and have a plea a plea deal going forward, um, yes they've been able to recoup a lot of stuff, but you know when you think about the VA expecting millions of masks uh, it's and FEMA expecting millions of masks it's and and he could just you know yeah walk around and and no one's worried about him hurting anyone else is is it blows my mind
1: and and let's underscore that um, this. The stories are always going to look at the statutory maximum. Right. So, you know, the, the one report I saw said, you know, he, he faces a maximum penalty of 35 years in prison. Right. That's if you get all of the aggravating factors and you were in Category 6, which he's not. Um the reality is that this base level of offense is not likely to be high right the the amount uh, under 18 usc 641 that's the theft of government funds um is is only 73,722 right the other right, because some of the loans were repaid there's there's uh, over a quarter million dollars in uh restitution but in terms of a- a add-ons um, we're going to have a relatively low number, and so what that means is that that substantial cooperation may bring the the you know the possibility down that we're looking at minimal time or even probation. And, yeah,
0: I was thinking probation. Yeah, um, for in, in exchange for his cooperation, which uh would in that case need to be substantial.
1: Yeah, and 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 that's not going to sit well when that comes out publicly, right? Like like it did. Defrauding veterans of masks is a a great way to get a bipartisan consensus that you're a scumbag. Right. Um, And so uh, the last thing that I want to emphasize on that is the the adjudication of substantial cooperation is from the perspective of the defendant. Right. So in other words, you've got to do everything the prosecutors ask you to do. Right. But if the prosecutors don't make good use of you, like that's not your fault. Right. Um, so, it, it, again, I think it makes it incumbent that 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 be uh, well set forth. And I again, you know, we're reading some tea leaves here, but it, it I infer that there is some belief that he's going to be substantially useful in order to to make that offer. Mm-hmm. Right? Otherwise, you would just say. Right. Yes. Uh, because you absolutely could do a plea deal, Right. Like the, the which baseline... means to
0: me, which which translates to bigger fish. Yes. Yeah. That's which right. could be secretary of V.A. could be people in the White House. Uh... Could be Jared Kushner, for example, <laughs> who who is known for selling our shit to people and we don't know about
1: your him. email buddy, Jared Kushner, yeah. Yeah, um, right. It,
0: it, that's right.
1: Again, all speculation, all beans. Yes. Um but yes. but remember that from Stewart's perspective, right, he would have agreed to this plea bargain independent of the ability to, to pursue uh a reduction in the base offense level due to cooperation. So they could have offered him this without it, uh, and he still would have taken it because it would have uh, eliminated other potential offenses and 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 everything else. So um, I think that's informed speculation on your part, AG.
0: Well, we'll see what happens with it. we'll keep we'll keep our eye on it for you. Um, so everybody, as you know, we are in the middle of the second impeachment. Um, <laughs> I, 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 people call it impeachment trial. Uh, I've heard Glenn Kirshner refer to it as the impeachment confirmation hearing. <laughs> and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what's going on with that up after this break. So stay with us.
1: Hi, friends. Andrew here for Clean Up on Aisle 45. Can you believe it's February already? Unlike 2020, time is flying by in 2021, and we've got a lot to get done. Um February is also, you probably know this, the shortest month of the year. So we've got slightly less time to check off all the stuff on our to-do list. Luckily, Policy Genius can help you kill two birds with one stone. You can compare home and auto insurance rates and save up to $1,055 per year by reshopping. That's money you can put towards the things you really care about. For me, oh, that is wine. Um, Maybe traveling once we're no longer in plague tubes of death. And, uh... Traveling back out to California to wine country to get some more wine, Uh, maybe scotch. (laughs) Here's the way it works. Okay, first, head on over to policygenius.com. Answer a few quick questions about yourself and your property then policy genius will take it from there they compare rates from over 30 top insurers from progressive to nationwide to find the lowest quotes then they look at all the ways to maximize your savings right so they factor in the bundling home and auto stuff if policy genius finds a better rate than what you're paying now they switch you over for free it's no wonder that with that level of service policy genius has earned a five star rating across over 1600 reviews on trustpilot and google if you are worried that march is just around the corner and you barely got Anything done? Take a deep breath. Policy Genius will help you make the most out of this short month in minutes. Reshop your home and auto insurance, save up to $1,055. Head over to policygenius.com to get started right now. Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. all right ag this is the story i've been waiting to <laughs> to cover
0: ah. dun, dun, dun. we have so much inside information we have so much inside sourced stuff for y'all you're going to be so proud and impressed and so happy that you listen to clean up on l 45 because this is news that you aren't going to be able to get anywhere oh, else so I, check i'm it. so excited
1: okay so here's the stuff that you already probably know right uh Chuck Schumer laid out the trial schedule today. I continue. We've gone back and forth. I continue to hope that the Democrats will call witnesses. I want to put their feet to the fire on that. I think it it just sends all the wrong messages in all the wrong ways if they don't. Uh, but um, we know that opening arguments, actually arguments, uh, will be uh, divided up 16 hours per side over two days. Um and one ex White House official <laughs> told uh, CNN's Jim Acosta that Trump was loving the siege on the Capitol while watching it on TV. That confirms, by the way, um, what Nebraska Senator Ben Sass said, uh, and uh, that was that he was, quote, giddy about uh, watching the siege on the Capitol. And like, does anybody think that that is not the case? Um uh, Anyway, that's what's going to happen uh, in terms of impeachment. Um, and what has made me giddy is as literally like an hour before we recorded the show, we got all of the remaining briefs. And if there's anything that I love more than uh, reading legal briefs, I, I don't I don't know what that is. Um, and and, I, you know, I can take up the rest <laughs> of the show going through all of it trump's legal brief is terrible this is my professional legal opinion this is not just you know i disagree with it and dislike it it makes two arguments well
0: first of all they open it up saying that we all have trump derangement syndrome <laughs> like that's right. a medical it, condition
1: it, it, it is so so remember that Trump is already circling the bottom of the drain here in getting Bruce Castor and David Schoen as his lawyers. Right. David Schoen, just a guy. Bruce Castor, the guy who wrote this brief, is woefully unqualified and has endorsed conspiracy theories and is very clearly chosen by Trump because he does not think it is suborning perjury to put on testimony during impeachment that the election was stolen from Donald Trump. So um, this brief is 78 pages long. um, And I've used this phrase with you before, AJ, but it, it is it's a cargo cult legal brief, right? It's got like the headings and it cites cases, but it does so. And and we're going to talk about this in a way that makes me truly giddy. It, it does so in a way that is utterly unrelated to how actual lawyers write actual briefs. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to talk about that in, in some depth. Um, but, but, but first I want to, I want to tell you, there are only, there are a bunch of little arguments too, but there are basically only two arguments raised in this entire brief. Okay. The first one, and we're going to put a pin in this is a jurisdictional legal argument. And it is that the Senate lacks the jurisdiction, cannot sit, in an impeachment case against President Trump because he's no longer the president.
0: Okay, so so they 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 are saying that he's still the president but he's not the president. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, I do not know how the like QAnon face-off guys are are dealing with like simultaneously arguing that Trump is the behind the scenes president uh and but but Face-off guys, meaning the Um,
0: the people who believe that Biden is actually Trump and they've traded faces and Trump is Biden facing trial.
1: That is a real thing. Like, that's a real QAnon conspiracy. And fuck me in the head for the fact that I know this. Okay. Okay. Um, Yeah. Uh, The second argument. and, And I'm not kidding. Like, this is other than a couple of minor things. This is their only argument on the merits is a repackaging of a free speech argument. And it is, oh, come on. Like we're all politicians. We all say I will fight for you. And that's all Trump was saying. And who could possibly impeach somebody over a thing that you're free to say. And I I want you, if you've got an uncle Frank in your life, if, if you're hearing this idiotic argument and you will, because again, they've only got two arguments. So the likelihood that you hear any one of these pretty high, I, I, I want to illustrate how false the argument is. Okay. And that is, I'm going to start with a sentence that I have the free speech to say, right? Hmm. That statement is as follows I, Andrew Torres, hereby declare my undying fealty to the Netherlands. Ah, the Netherlands, where baseball is called honkball, where you can buy a Rembrandt for a nickel. The <laughs> Netherlands, I pledge my fealty and loyalty to you. Now, <laughs> No troops are coming. Right. Like I can't be arrested or tried or charged or sued uh, like for any of that. I'm totally free to say that. But you know what? If I was a sitting government official, I 100 percent could be impeached for that. Right. Because you know what our public officials can't do. They cannot swear undying fealty to the Netherlands it, 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 or anywhere. Right. And so the argument that, oh, this is within the range of free speech. And, and, I, and, I, and there actually is, I'm not going to quote it because it's so stupidly written, but, but there actually is an argument in, contained in this brief that says, you know, this doesn't, what the president says doesn't qualify as incitement to riot because they had to walk a mile and a half down to the Capitol. Mm. And I don't give a shit. Right. That's not what we're trying to do. I agree, by the way, that it would be a challenge to indict someone for incitement to riot. Right on the facts that we have in front of us. But that's not what impeachment does. Impeachment makes a judgment as to whether the president is behaving in a way that is consistent with his oath of office. And it is not consistent with your oath of office, whether it's a crime or not, to incite an insurrection in precisely the same way that it is not consistent with your oath of office to declare your undying fealty to the Netherlands, no matter how great the term honkball is. So there we go.
0: Mm -mm. Honkball's pretty great. Yeah. Um, Now, uh, some of the things that they were also doing here are uh, taking words and phrases out of the context in which they were (laughs) used, the word fight, for example, uh, like you said, Uh, and they're not they're they're pulling it out of uh, of the larger picture. Uh, And what the what the Democrats are trying to do is paint not just a picture of January 6th, not just a picture of the speech and what he said, uh, although that is enough. Uh, but but to add to it, all of the months leading up uh, uh, with uh, the, the calls to Raffensperger, the the cries of the rigged election, he spent months trying to overturn this election, which was fueling the anger uh, and feeding the conspiracy theorists. Um, so, I, you know, I, I was reminded of a term that we, you know, we, we spoke about a lot during the Mueller investigation, which was totality of the evidence, a lot of which was used in, in criminal obstruction of justice charge findings when you had to prove intent, uh, because that was one of the three requirements to charge obstruction of justice was that you had to prove intent to obstruct justice uh, nexus to a, a, a proceeding and an obstructive act. And that when when Mueller was using the idea of the totality of the evidence, it's a factor in criminal investigations. And this is not up to that standard even. So I don't understand how they're able to pick these words and phrases out. And we're going to talk about picking out words and phrases in a minute, too, because (laughs) a a friend of ours and a former guest, uh, past guest on The Daily Beans, uh His article is cited in this Trump defense, and we 're going to talk about that in a minute and that was cherry picked to death but it just it strikes me as as interesting that the you know they want you to well you don't take him literally, but I mean he didn't use the word insurrection or riot or armed or Anything like that, as if you have to stand up in front of people and say, "I command you to go and start a riot and and be insurrectionists on the Capitol and cause damage and kill people." You don't have to say those words to be guilty of those actions. Yeah,
1: the 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 beavis and butthead defense, right? Like uh, <laughs> we were we were going to exchange goods and services for sexual favors, right? Like yet no, of course you don't have to do that. Um, and and it is. It is shocking to me that um, but it but in a way, it shouldn't be right like we've talked about this before, right um, the the initial Republican defense of Donald Trump's obvious, heavy-handed, mafia-esque leaning on Jim Comey, right? Oh, hey, could you see it through to the, you know, making the Flynn thing go away, right? And, you know, and Rand Paul getting up going, "Well, you know, like, he just asked if it was possible. And it's like, come on, you (laughs) idiot.
0: Yeah, or I never said fire Comey. I said get rid of him, you know, like... Oh, so kill him, like, yeah,
1: right. <laughs> yeah, I said he sleeps with the
0: fishes, yeah, no,, um, and you and I have talked to c- tons of prosecutors who have prosecuted uh, uh crimes for less yeah. crimes yeah. not not political processes. Uh, And this is a different burden, but uh, it's interesting. It's it's flabbergasting this 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 thing that they wrote. It it really is. So that
1: is that's the free speech defense. And it depends on you being an idiot about how words are used uh, and not caring about the law. The other argument is you can't impeach somebody who's no longer in office. And you might recall you and I talked about the case of William Belknap, right? The 1876, Secretary of War under Ulysses S. Grant, I, I at, who was uh impeached and tried before the Senate, uh, despite resigning right before the House was scheduled to vote to impeach him, right?
0: The yeah. reason being is so you don't just resign to get out of being held right. accountable.
1: Yeah, exactly, because that seems like a pretty big <laughs> fucking loophole if you allow to do that. I want to read you from the president's brief, and I'll go—I'll be— brief but this is what they say I love about when your that voice case. gets high yeah oh man it's that you can tell that it's nah, worked under my skin anyway all right quoting this is page 24 you can read along if you want it'll ding when we uh need to turn the page uh in 1876, Belknap, Secretary of War under President Ulysses S. Grant, was investigated by the House for corruption. Uh, however, on March 2nd, 1876, after the House had taken up the issue, but before the House voted on his impeachment, Grant accepted Belknap's resignation, apparently just minutes before the House was set to vote. Despite Belknap's resignation, the House voted to impeach him anyway. The issue of whether an officer who had resigned could be impeached was heavily debated for two weeks, but ultimately the Senate voted 37 to 29 that it had the power to hold an impeachment trial for a former office holder and proceeded to have a trial. End of sentence. You might be thinking that doesn't seem like a good argument for our side. If you're the president and you would be correct. The, the, the argument that follows, and this is a single sentence is but then Belknap was acquitted and, quote, while historical accounts suggest that few senators believe Belknap was innocent, the majority of those voting to acquit did so because they did not think the Senate had jurisdiction to convict someone who was no longer in office. Um, that That's fine. Like th- what you are conceding is the Senate has every right to proceed to a trial and it's up to the individual senators to decide whether they think they ought to uh, uh, acquit or convict uh, the former president.
0: So my uncle Frank murdered a guy, uh, but three of the jurists didn't think that it happened. So we don't need to try anyone for (laughs) murder. That, that is,
1: that is not an uncharitable reading of how bad this brief is. Um, And, and,
0: and, and as we get into... They would have been best to just leave Belknap alone, they, yeah. or even just say, he wasn't a president. Presidents are yep. different. Something it, like that. Or,
1: or, or Belknap's case does not... Right? Like, look, you could take those same facts, and a less stupid lawyer would say... The House relies heavily on the case of William Belknap, but that case is distinguishable for multiple reasons, including fundamentally that the Senate voted to acquit. It is therefore not appropriate precedent in a case like this. That's how a real lawyer would have blocked out that case. And
0: I I still wouldn't use that
1: as an example. Yeah, uh, but but, sure. But still, right. Um, I I have to point this out before we talk about the amazing get that that uh, that we had. And that is immediately after that. This is page 26. um, We have the following. So the brief says significantly, neither Belknap nor Blount received the required two thirds majority of the Senate. And so we're acquitting. So this is page 26 of their brief significantly. Belknap did not receive the required two thirds majority and so was acquitted on the proceedings. So therefore, they provide no binding precedent establishing the Senate's jurisdiction to convict former officials of impeachment. That is then followed by a quote. The quote is, quote, these cases cannot be read as foreclosing an argument that they never dealt with. And then footnote 69, feel free to giggle, uh, is a citation to Waters versus Churchill, 511 U.S. 661, uh, which is a 1994 decision. And so let me say this as a lawyer really quickly. When you cite immediately after a statement with a quotation to a case that without any signal in front of it, right, like a C or C also or CF or whatever, right, that is designed to signal to a court that the case that you're citing is directly on point, right? That it stands for the proposition that you've cited it for. So in this case, this would have to be an impeachment case, right? It would have to be, I am citing to Waters v. Churchill. And I was like, well, that doesn't seem like a a, a, a case of impeachment, right? Like I don't know anybody named Waters who got impeached or Churchill who got impeached. Um, When you go to that case, that 1994 Supreme Court case, it has to do with the burden of proof for your employer to fire you when you are disparaging that employer on the job. This was involved a hospital that had a nurse who was telling one of the other nurses like, man, don't transfer to the OBGYN department because our OBGYN department sucks. Right. And the Supreme Court was basically establishing the boundaries at at which point uh, you could, as a nurse, freely talk about how much your obstetrics department sucks to other people who work on the job or whether you could be fired. If you're thinking, what in the hell does that have to do with impeachment? The answer is Trump's lawyer liked that sentence. And so therefore put it in his brief, even though it is as irrelevant to the argument as I have just described. No, if a first year, if a first year, if a first year law student wrote a brief this badly, your professor would send it back and be like, "Maybe we should get you some remedial writing." It, it is. I cannot overestimate. I cannot overstate uh, how bad Bruce's brief is. Here.
0: All right, so it's time for my favorite part. It's time for my favorite part. <laughs> the article that they cite from two thousand and one, uh, written by. Uh, guest of the Daily Beans pod and absolute expert in this area, probably considered the top expert in this area, Brian Colt. Tell us tell us a little bit about what, what's going on here. I
1: cannot convey to our listeners my giddiness, shock, and then lack of shock that <laughs> I was talking to you about. You have actually undersold his credentials. In 2001, Brian Colt wrote a law review article, said... Called the constitutional case for the impeachability of former federal officials, right? Okay, uh, I'm sorry.
0: It's called the case for, for. the impeachability. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, just checking that that's called the case the case for the impeachability <laughs> of former officials.
1: Yeah, written in 2001, and is the unquestioned. So written again at a time in which nobody was thinking in 2001, should we impeach Bill Clinton for the Mark Rich pardons or something, right? Like that. It, this was. A pure legalistic exercise in reviewing the history of impeachment, the meaning of the impeachment clause. It goes into... Uh, companion state impeachment clauses. It it looks at the history of impeachment in Great Britain and 13th century Saxony. It is a masterpiece of legal scholarship, and I have talked to conservative legal scholars. No friends of ours, uh, you know, personal friends, but no friends on the legal merits, and everybody agrees. Brian Colt's article is the gold standard for what counts as late impeachment and what the law is. And essentially what cult does is he says, look, I get why this is a hard question because there's not a lot of constitutional text. But when we use all of the traditional canons of judicial understanding, when we look at all of the relevant authorities, when we look at the meager precedents there are, it's clear that you can impeach a former official. Right. And in so doing the article which is comprehensively researched does that typical lawyer trick of like so on the one hand you might say x but on the other hand yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: he 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 plays devil's advocate in his article so he can shoot down all of the objections that you might think of all of the reasonable and unreasonable arguments you might think of against impeaching a former uh, officer so he puts those arguments in there so that he can then counter those arguments with the gold standard of the the scholastic law on this particular issue right Is he's that's sort of what he's doing he's giving examples uh in in his article of arguments to his argument
1: yes and that is why it's a good paper right um i was Rather surprised to see that the Trump brief cites to Colt 15 times, including quoting from him in the text without ever indicating that Brian Colt comes down very clearly on the side that former officials can be impeached. Um, Do
0: they put the title of it in there? They they do.
1: The first time they introduce it, it's in a footnote. And like, you know, who reads footnotes? Right. Um, But instead, they quote, you know, as law professor Brian Colt so eloquently states, blah, blah, blah. Well, uh, I looked at that. I thought it was out of context. Um, But you know who else thought it was out of context? (laughs) Brian (laughs) Colt. Um, so, uh, he's a little busy right now, so we, we, we had to interview him, uh, informally. I, I would love to get him back on the show. Uh, maybe we will do that, um, you know, once we get through the next couple of days. Um, but he walked us through every citation and the language that he used in describing the way in which he has been cited by the Trump team is, um, not, Mincing words, right? That, for example, um, when the Trump team on page 21 says, as Professor Brian Kalt details in multiple places, Alexander Hamilton seemed to believe that the removal was a required component of the impeachment penalty, which suggests he viewed late impeachment as impossible. Professor Kalt told us this is disingenuous. I note where Hamilton felt this way in his proposals to the convention, proposals regarding the drafting of the impeachment clause that were modified or rejected. And if you read my article in the next breath, I say, on the other hand, Hamilton's later writings on impeachment in the Federalist Papers, construing the Constitution as actually written and not his own unadopted proposals can be construed more favorably to late impeachment given that hamilton was writing in the federalist papers about the constitution as actually written and not earlier preliminary proposals this is a significant omission um I, it i will tell you over and over again it
0: feels like lies it yeah. feels like lying <laughs> and and uh, like someone should be punished for that you know it it it
1: this is the kind of thing you would never write and look like i can make fun of bruce as a lawyer all day long and i will right but 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 This is the kind of thing you can only get away with in this unique context because there isn't a judge to slap you down. If you wrote a brief this bad and submitted to the judge, I can tell you what would happen uh, because I've I've been there as.
0: (laughs) We've seen it in the we've seen it as recently as the election lawsuits uh, that were filed. and,
1: And what happens is the judge's clerks come to him and say, we have a litigant whose lawyer you can't trust and the minute that that happens I, you you might as well withdraw from the case right like that that once the court thinks that you're unreliable that you're willing to play fast and loose uh, with what the law is then nothing you say will ever be credible again and and i need to tell you this is more egregious than anything i have ever seen in 24 years of practice as a lawyer and they did that because they know there's not a judge to slap them down at the end of
0: although when we did speak to brian he he, uh he did say that he uh believes um that the democratic uh impeachment managers should be aware of these objections and, and, and his writing and his article that, that they should be aware of this. So we may we will see, because like you said, in, in the rules, they have 16 hours to present over two days on each side. And I'm assuming this is going to come up and we will see how the Democratic side handles this particular argument, especially these citations. It would be something I would personally drill down on pretty heavy. I,
1: me too, although my estimation of how the American public feels about miscitation may not line up with <laughs> with reality. But the, look, this is this is galling, right? This is omitting things like. Uh, Quoting where Professor Kalt says something, but leaving out the introductory phrase taken out of context. Right. I, it, it, this is this is a Bill Barr kind of hatchet job.
0: Yeah, Bill Barr yeah. level. Yeah. The way that he uh, mischaracterized the Mueller findings is exactly what I was thinking. And
1: and, and Professor Colt look like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can get me to come on, you know, your show or come on this show. And uh, I'm, I live on the far fringes of lawyers willing to talk in public. Professor Colt is a moderated uh, uh you know, small C conservative by temperament. Um, he's, he's not a bomb thrower. He, he does not come on and, and, uh, and, and talk this way. And and for him to use this kind of language, I think, uh, and, and make it public and out there, I I think really illustrates, you know, that, that he's not just going to sort of get, give up and go away and, and, and let them get away with it and, and good on him. And that's why we're trying to amplify that voice as much as we
0: can. Yes, Absolutely. Well, we will continue to follow the impeachment trial. I mean, we, you know, by the ne- by the time we talk next, I think the uh, presentation should be done. We might even be uh, on to uh, later things. Who knows if they're going to call witnesses, but we'll continue to, to discuss this here on this show. I know you're going to discuss it on Opening Arguments. We're discussing it on the Daily Beans pod as well. So uh, just absolutely um, mind-numbing, jaw-dropping, mischaracterization of of cult's work and uh i'm i can't say i'm again i'm shocked but not surprised a common phrase that's been coming up lately um (laughs) i mean that's that's all i can say about it uh really but i'm assuming that this will continue to happen uh in these in this particular vein with lawyers of this kind of credibility hanging out on trump's side Uh, but we'll continue to cover it. We'll be right back. We're going to go over the comings and goings, uh, have our famous buh-bye segment right after this quick break. Stay with us. Hey, everybody. It's AG for Cleanup on Aisle 45. you ever listen to us talk and you want to scream your opinions or questions at us or sing them at us. Uh, well, you can now. We're going live on the Stereo app where you can ask us your questions directly. Join us uh, for our Cleanup on Aisle 45 after party Q&A for uncensored opinions, exclusive content only available on the Stereo app. I love the Stereo app. Um, I'm on the app talking all the time. Follow me at Allison Gill and get notified every time I go live. We take a deep dive into variety of topics. Andrew and I will interact directly with the listeners. Um, you can download the Stereo app now, and you can look for us every Tuesday. Andrew and I will be doing this uh, Clean Up on aisle 45 after party at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 p.m. Eastern. That's Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific and 8 p.m. Eastern. And uh, the app is cool. You choose whether to be a co-host, participate as a guest, or just listen in on our conversations uh, and ask us questions. It's super cool, super interactive. So download the free stereo app now and we'll see you Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific time.
1: And we're back, and this is, I think, rapidly becoming one of my favorite parts of the show, our (laughs) goodbye to you segment. Uh, (laughs) Goodbye. So, uh, first, Roger Severino, former uh, top Uh, Health and Human Services official was a last minute Trump appointee to something called the Council on the Administrative Conference of the United States. And that is an advisory committee that is designed uh, to um, try and, quote, make the government work better, end of quote. So it's supposed to be an independent federal agency. You could imagine why, you know small government conservatives who think the way to make government work better is to destroy it might uh want to infiltrate ACUS. Um Biden uh asked him to step down uh and also sent similar emails to Jennifer Dickey, Andrew Closter, Daniel Epstein with the now familiar language that says, uh, you can either resign or we'll fire you at 5 p.m. Eastern, uh, and then firing them at 501 Eastern. Um severino has now sued uh, arguing that there is no legal authority for his uh removal and the biden administration said uh dude you serve at will so as of right now bye-bye to severino dickie kloster and epstein um by the way joe uh Adrian Vermule and Ronald Cass are still on the committee, and they're still terrible. So, you know, you got more work cut out for you.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and, you know, I would just be—it would be funny because Severino's suing him for—he doesn't have the authority to remove him at will. But then I would just put that uh, Trump Schedule F— uh, thing. In front. Yep. Although he's already signed an executive order rescinding that ridiculous thing. Um, but, I, you know, I was kind of hoping, like, hang on to that for a while. Could come in handy. But yeah. he, he did the right thing and rescinded Absolutely. that. And and again, I want
1: to underscore the point you made last week, which continues to be true, which is, you know, Joe Biden's philosophy here when it comes to these embedded Trumpers is fire them first and, you know, if, if we get sued and we have to pay some kind
0: a penalty well we'll figure that out in post cost of doing business we divert yep. some wall money yeah <laughs> All right. Up next, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin dismissed hundreds of members of the Pentagon's policy advisory boards Monday, ousting last-minute Trump administration nominees as well as officials appointed by previous administrations. By removing members effective February 16th, Mr. Austin avoided selectively firing those appointed by the Trump administration. The defense chief also ordered a review of at least 42 boards to be completed by June According to defense officials, quote, advisory boards have and will continue to provide an important role in shaping public policy with the DOD. That's uh, according to a memo that uh, Floyd Austin wrote. And he continues saying, that said, our stewardship respons- our stewardship responsibilities require that we continually assess to ensure each advisory committee provides appropriate value today. You burnt. No, he didn't put that in there. Mr. Austin believed this was the most fair and equitable way to address the question about the boards. uh, And the move was foreshadowed last week when Austin suspended the onboarding process for Trump administration nominees to Pentagon advisory boards, including like Lewandowski and a bunch of douchebags. Yeah. Preventing them from being seated. So there we go. Uh, Bye bye. Bye (laughs) bye.
1: And then finally, this is a weird one, but I love this story. Heather Mewshaw who was the white house ASL interpreter. And you're thinking, how could that be a political appointee? Well, turns out Heather Muschall is also an organizer of hands of Liberty, a group that provides sign language interpretation for crazy right-wing videos. Hands of Liberty used to be called, and I wish to God, I were making this up right side ASL. Mm. Um, They've been removed from Facebook for violating their community standards. Uh, And so MewShaw appears in a November 17th post on a social platform called MeWe. I I bought a Mew. Whatever the hell it is. MeWe. MeWe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Posting uh, entitled Admin Update, explaining the move from Facebook, Twitter and Instagram where they've been banned, two platforms MeWe and Gab, which are, uh, according to this news story, quote, popular with conservatives for their light approaches to moderation, end of quote. <laughs> so uh I don't know the ASL sign for bye bye, but uh mm-hmm. Bye bye, Heather Mushaw.
0: Bye bye. I'm sure it's pretty simple. Um yeah, you burnt. So that's our segment on everyone the comings and goings we've we uh we did uh I think we covered earlier in the show. That uh, we did actually um, confirm McDonough, new VA secretary. Yep. Um, I'd like to. I would love to have a ten-hour meeting with that fella. Um, <laughs> there's a lot that needs to to go on over there, and, and we'll we'll keep you posted on uh, you know more confirmations as they happen as they happen. Uh, but uh, that's that's who has left us uh, this week in memoriam.
1: Don't let the door hit you
0: on the way out. Mm, yeah. Bye bye everybody that has been a cleanup on aisle 45 you are all amazing thank you so much for listening uh and you know if you haven't subscribed please do us a solid and subscribe i would love to outchart dan bongino if we can do that that's my goal this week and you do that by subscribing it's a good goal to have uh, and all you have to do is subscribe. It's totally free to do that. Now, you can also become a premium subscriber. Andrew, tell them how they can do that. Yeah, head on over to
1: patreon.com
0: slash aisle 45 pot that's A
1: I S L E 45 POD and you get an unbelievable bunch of goodies that go along with that you get of course the ad free version of the show we answer all of your comments and interact with you you get to be a part of uh that that Patreon exclusive page um I re- have written some uh essays that are separate just for our patrons we're going to do uh separate hangouts we solicit those people like they're the people that make the show go and um if uh if if you like what we do and you want to throw us a buck get on and throw us a buck how can that possibly hurt and um uh that's that's the best way to support the show
0: yeah so much neat stuff that you can get and uh I, you know, I, we also have uh, closed uh, private social media groups that you are allowed to have entry to when, you, when you're a patron. So yep. just neat stuff. So check that out. Everybody, this has been amazing. I know it was a little bit of a long episode, but we had so much to get through. Thank you for hanging out. I've been A.G.
1: And I've been A.T. And uh, this is Clean Up on Aisle 45.
0: Cleanup on Aisle 45 is written and produced by Allison Gill and Andrew Torres and is engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Audio. Fact-checking and research by Alison Gill and Andrew Torres with quality assurance and media by Muller She Wrote, LLC. Branding, design, and logo by Starburns Audio and Joel Reader with Moxie Design Studios, and our copy is written by Jesse Egan. Our music is written and recorded by Adam Orr and Christopher Hoffey and our opening sequence is designed by Allison Gill and mixed by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Audio. Follow us on Twitter at Aisle 45 Pod and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Don't miss our cleanup on aisle 45 after party over on the stereo app. We'll be going live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. And we want to hear from you. Our last stereo show went a little bit like this.
1: Section 3 of the 14th Amendment says you can't hold office if you have participated or supported an insurrection. Is that a criminal procedure? Is that Congress? Who determines that an insurrection is? and support thereof has actually happened? Is it a judge, is it a Congress? Who decides that?
0: Very good question. Uh, as we know, Tim Kaine, Senator, uh, Democratic Senator, and Susan Collins from uh, the state of furrowing her brow uh, are working <laughs> putting together a resolution to block Trump from holding office again based on section three of the 14th Amendment. You can't hold office. Uh, I think that what they were trying to do is to have that instead or in lieu of a Senate trial. I think they should do it in addition to, but it would only take, I believe, a a majority vote in the House. And if they did it by budget resolution, which they would have to change the rules, um, but but under budget reconciliation to get around a filibuster in the Senate, otherwise it would need 60 votes as a resolution, I believe, um, to do that. Uh, and the whole, it, the, this whole thing, this whole, it just feels like there's so many laws that people are just ignoring right now, like section three of the 14th or emoluments, but that we actually, the clock, the clock just went out on that. Uh,
1: I, 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 I swear you are clairvoyant, right? Because, uh, I was going to use the analogy to emoluments to, to, you know, sort of talk about the, the grammar of this question, right, which is the, the difference between what the Constitution permits and prohibits versus how those provisions are
0: enforced. The Stereo app is for live social conversations, and we want to talk directly with you, our listeners. So you can join our show, ask questions about news, politics, the law, justice, anything. Share your experiences and opinions. We want to hear it all. So download the app now and join us live this week, Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. Link to the show in the description. And join us over on the Stereo app.